What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Awakened Catholic Show. I'm your host, Nick Delatore. Today, we got a great show coming up for you here. Uh, our guest is absolutely awesome. His name is Chris Bray. He is a Catholic speaker and musician. He has won, he's charted uh, in Canada where he's from, and he has won gospel music awards there. He has been seen on EWTN, 100 Huntley Street, Shalom World TV, and Salt and Light TV, and all of that glory in the man himself is coming up right after this. We got a great show, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get started, I have to let you know about something. If you like the Awakened Catholic show or any of the shows here at Awakened Catholic or any of the work Awakened Catholic is doing, you can be a part of what makes it all possible, and that is the Awaken Nation. Awaken Nation is a community of people that are passionate about spreading the gospel and bringing people closer to the heart of Christ in the Catholic Church please consider joining the Awaken Nation by making a monthly contribution, or you can make a one-time donation. The monthly contributions can be as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week or or more, if you know if that's your thing. Uh, visit awakencatholic.org slash donate to join the Awaken Nation today. Additionally, you can download the Awaken app on the Apple App Store or on the Google Play Store. If you just want to learn more about the Awaken app, visit theawakenapp.io. You know, I forgot in that litany of glory to mention my favorite thing about Mr. Chris Bray, and that is that he is Canadian. Chris Bray, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hey, I have, uh, as I was sharing with you before we started recording, I've just been getting so into um, the uh, the content that you're putting out. I know that similar to us here at Awaken Catholic, when COVID hit last year, which it's great to say last year, not that 2021 is looking any better right now, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you similarly had to kind of pivot a lot of uh, the, the way that you were doing ministry, and we're going to get into some of that. Um, but uh, yeah, just introduce yourself. Tell, tell the world, who are you? Well, my name's Chris. I'm a husband and a father. I have five kids at home, uh, and they're all girls. And so my household wow. is very loud and uh, dramatic, but it's awesome, <laughs> and I love being a dad. Um, and yeah, I'm in, I've been in full-time ministry for about eight years, traveling North America, doing parish missions and praise and worship concerts and speaking uh, to Catholic schools and all that kind of stuff. Um, not so much this past year in 2020. <laughs> yep. Um, but, uh, through all of that, um, it started, uh, a video series called all that Catholic stuff, but four or five years ago, um, just as a way to connect people, like a lot of what my ministry was in the past was, um, being on the road, being at events. And I wanted to make a space and an opportunity for people to be, to grow in their faith and to be nurtured and inspired and equipped, um, between when I would see them at events or if I would go back to their church two or three years later. And so, uh, that's what kind of spawned my uh, video series, all that Catholic stuff. That is really, really awesome. And I, and I, I love talking to you um, because I just feel like we are very kindred spirits and, and have had very congruent journeys. Um, I myself was leading worship and speaking for probably the last uh, six or seven years, not as many as you. You got a couple years on me. Um, and yeah, I just... Um, I'm excited uh, about the work you're doing, um, and, and I lo also love one of the last videos you put out was with your wife, and you guys together did a really beautiful job um, in that video. Uh, so what is uh, what would be your favorite part of the work that you do? Uh, it's uh, Honestly, it's, it's the people and, and the encounters that people have. 
um, one of the things that I've really missed about this past year is like, there's just this, um, and I can't even describe it, but there's just this thing that happens when people are in a room and the Holy Spirit is at work and lives are being changed and transformed and people have an awakening mm. and they have an encounter with God and their, their life is changed and transformed. Like I just, there's just something so incredible. I, I just feel so fulfilled in ministry for, by being part of that. Like one small little piece connecting a couple of dots together and then the Holy spirit just goes, bam, you know, <laughs> like, and it's, it's awesome to witness that. And I think for me in my ministry, that's really what has kept me going and had uh, a drive and a desire to pursue it. Even when like, I'd rather be home, I don't want to be away for a couple of weeks at a time from my family, you know, and, or when, you know, when you have to do the mundane, boring kind of stuff, the preparatory work um, it's those, reminders of that God is at work in people's lives. And when you see it and when you witness it and you hear the stories, oh, it's just, it's incredible. And I don't know how any other way to describe it. I'm Amen. sure you've experienced the and, same and so thing you, in your work. You've obviously, some of those things that are your favorite things about the work you're doing in the last year have all but totally gone in, in a sense, uh, and at least in terms of the in-person interactions where you kind of observe those things. Um, how has that been? Because, you know, a lot of times in ministry, like if you're getting into, into ministry for the money, you're getting into the wrong job because th there isn't much. And so like, you know, what really propels us in the work that we do is seeing a lot of times the impact that it has and knowing like, okay, what I'm doing is making a difference. Um, like what I'm doing, like I am being an effective vessel, an effective tool uh, for the Lord uh, and his work of the kingdom. And, you know, I can identify personally with the idea that like, it has been challenging to not do parish missions, to not be in front of groups of people, uh, at least as frequently by a long shot and, and see like, I am, I, I am being an effective minister of the gospel. Um, you know, and obviously with online work, you know, you have analytics and metrics and sometimes people can send in testimonials and stuff, which, which they do, but like, it's not the same. And I'm curious, what has that experience been like for you? I think it's been good for me, honestly. I, I think, um, it's been a test, uh, personally in my life, of, um, God testing my faithfulness to him, mm. that, you know, like it's, 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 it just sort of reminds me of like the Israelites as they were traveling through the desert. Wow. They yeah. knew that, that God was leading them. They knew that they had a purpose and that they were just supposed to follow and be faithful to where he was leading them. Um, and there were times that, you know, maybe they were getting tired <laughs> and times that maybe they weren't sure where they were going or they got a little distracted and they melted down some gold and they formed it into a calf. And <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that I've done that, but, but we do that sometimes in our own faith journeys, right? We, we get distracted. We take our focus off of Jesus and, um, try and take the reins into our own hands. And that's, that's when the Israelites um, got lost wow. that's when they stopped following God. Right. And, and I think for me, it's just been a great reminder that, um, that, you know, in ministry, it, if you're ministering to other people as a leader, it's, it's not so much about you. you know, like you, you need to have your own faith life and your own faith journey, faithfulness, but you're, you're actually leading other people and, um, and responding to that call and being faithful to that, whether that's 12 people on a live stream and when you wish it was a thousand, right. or, or, you know what I mean? Just like, I've never just been like, there before. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but just like when you have an event, you know, and you're, you're praying, you're hoping like, God, I just, I want lots of people to show up so that lots of people will be um, just will encounter you and, and be changed by you. 
and and then you have five people show up or something. You know what I mean? Like there's the events that they happen. Those yeah. happen every once in a while. And and we it's not our job to um, to convince people. That's the Holy Spirit. We, we just need to show up and say yes and be faithful. And so I think that's been a good uh, a good lesson for me this year. Yeah, I love that because you know something my wife and I talk about a lot is in those moments um, the the realization that like all the work that we're putting in. And the ways in which, like, we have invested our lives and and our family um, into this mission for us in the form of Awakened Catholic, um, like, if one person, if one person's life is impacted for the better and and is brought closer to the Lord, it would have made years of effort worth it because that one person would spend eternity with God, and yeah. and that one person is worth it. And so I think that like, and that's one of the hard things too in ministry, like in in the years that I spent in parish work and in diocesan work, like there's always this concern because we have to be um, good stewards of the money and we have to be good stewards of our resources. Like we have to be uh, navigating like how many people were in the pews this Sunday and how many people did we uh, affect with this event or whatever. And like, we kind of lose sight of, but like, was there one person whose life was changed? And we might not even see those fruits immediately. It might be something that we planted a seed in the work that we did that years later, something, you know, it, it kind of cultivates the ground for something bigger to happen for them that, that was still instrumental. And I don't know, I just think it's so easy to fall into that trap of of losing sight of the the value and importance of that. Well, I totally agree. And I, that's why I think a lot of times the metrics that whether, you know, parishes or event organizers use for like, well, how many attendees do we have? Right. You know, how much do we have in donations or whatever? Those metrics, um, they're actually kind of a little bit useless uh, if we're not actually uh, counting like how many lives have been transformed. Yeah. Are we following up with people on that? How mm. many profound encounters have people had with Christ? Because that's actually the metric that matters the most. Yeah. Like we can be doing all of these social things and these wonderful things and have these gatherings, but if nobody's coming to Christ, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's important for us. And I think it, that also is paralleled with our, our online efforts too, with live streams. It's it's less about like you know how many people like our photos or view our live streams and videos and shares and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's more so about like. Like, are we being faithful? You know, it's a, it's sort of the question of the uh, the heart for us, right? Is is like, so are we seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness? Oh. Because if we do that, then all the other stuff, the other stuff will, yeah. will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. So that's, it's just a great reminder for not only for us, but I think for everyone. Yeah. And, and that part, the point that you just made there is so huge is like, and my wife and I are constantly gr- trying to grow in this is always fundamentally realizing like we are not in charge. Like the things that um, the Lord has tasked us with are still his stuff. Um, You know, so we are full-time ministers, you know, we run awake and we, we do a million things, but like, are we in the morning first fruits? Are we turning to the Lord and offering him the day? Are we spending time in scripture? Are we growing closer to him constantly um, and staying rooted in that? And are we seeking the kingdom first um, yeah. e- even before trying to bring other people there, like, are we making sure we're headed there? I think that's huge. Yeah. And as a, and in the context of like, as a husband and a father, it's like for a lot of the last decade of my life, I've spent so much time and effort ministering to other people. And when I couldn't do that because of lockdowns and church closures and all that, it was kind of the reminder of like, am I doing that in my own family? Mm-hmm. Am I stepping up and being a spiritual father to my kids, to my wife, or, you know, and, um, and that's good. Like, I'm so thankful 
for that wake up call as much as I would much prefer to be out on the road and be in with people. And, you know, mm-hmm. like God still is going to use all these circumstances and situations uh, to do good stuff if we let him. Amen. Amen to that. So let me ask you a question, Mr. Bray. We're going to we're going to jump into the charisma speed round here. Okay. Who is Jesus to you? Question number one. Is there like a ticking clock or something to have to answer? Like, is there 10 seconds? Or, so I or, normally refer to this as like an elevator pitch. Like if you ha- if you were selling Jesus to, Jesus okay. to someone in the, the course of an elevator ride, but you can decide the height of the building and how long the elevator takes. Okay. Um, I would say, I you know, I love C.S. Lewis's summarization. Uh, you, you know, Jesus is one of three possible scenarios. He's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. And, uh, and man, I just, the more that I read about him historically, the more that I read of him in the scriptures, he obviously wasn't a lunatic. And I don't know how you can trick so many thousands of people to um, watch you come back from the dead. And you know what I mean? So I don't think he was a liar. And so the only other possible explanation is that he's Lord. And if he's Lord, if he is who he says that he is, then I am who he says that I am. And praise God for that, man. Fire. Chris bringing the fire. Chris Bray, everyone. <laughs> Dang. That is good. If if he is who he says he is, then I am who he says I am. I love that. Um, and yeah, I, I, the resurrection is everything. That's You're absolutely right. I agree. Um, all right. Second question. What is your elevator pitch then for walking with him, being a Christian? Mm, I would say, um, I don't know. The, so the put me on the spot here. I would say that most people resonate with their struggles. You know, like that's the commonality that we have with people is that like everybody seems to be seeking and searching and hungry and have a void and an emptiness at one point in time or another in our life. And the only thing that I've come to realize in this life is that no matter what or how much I can't seem to fill that. Mm. And the only thing that has is the eternal God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's my answer is why Jesus I mean, you can look, I mean, you can research him in history and we can see how, um, how like ac- historically accurate the, the, the scriptures are and the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all of that stuff. But ultimately it comes down to, um, like, I'm changed. I'm not the same person that I was before. And that's because yeah. there's one person named Jesus. Mm. Preach, baby. I love it. Uh, so third question, final question of the Kerygma speed round elevator pitch for specifically a life as a Catholic. Right. Okay. So this is assuming like, so you're a Christian. Why, why be a Catholic now? So sure. kind of the question. Yeah. All right. So I would say like, how is it that we can know what truth is? Um, and I've spent a lot of my life asking that question of myself. Like, why do I believe what I believe? Like, and I, I spent a lot of my life actually not having the answers to those questions. Um, and part of my own journey with in the Christian music world was like, I'd have Protestants and other like amazing men and women of faith ask me the question, like, why do you believe that? Um, and the, the reason that I believe it is because Christ instituted a church and, you know, the church existed before the New Testament did. And so um, when we when we look at what Christ built and what he set in motion, it wasn't just a book, but it was a living organism of the church and, um, and I don't know, like with all of what's going on in the world today and Christians that just seem to be embarrassing Christianity as a whole, if their actions, sadly, like I, I want to be a Christian like in the first few centuries. I want to be a Christian like that. And when we uh, when we look at that and how they lived and believed and we read the writings of the church fathers, like 
I mean, apart from martyrdom and persecution, I, I want to be a Christian <laughs> that lives like that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And that's that's the hard thing too. Is like we we should you know martyrdom is a beautiful and amazing thing but like for the love of god please do not make me become one um but uh awesome great job that's that's a killer kerygma speed round man i'm always i'm always uh excited to hear people's responses to that because everyone's got a little bit of a different perspective on it and i think you brought a beautiful one so thank, thank you. you i appreciate that so um let's let's get into some of your uh your ministry uh before covid so as a speaker at events and stuff like what are some of the topics that got you really excited to talk about were you generally talking in front of teens or youth or grown-ups what was your your thing yeah i i was sort of doing half and half so um a lot of what i would do in canada is we have publicly funded catholic schools and so i would go around and um you know and unfortunately a lot of the kids that are going to Catholic schools in Canada, like maybe 10% of them are actually practicing Catholics. And so I would just try and engage them and like get them excited about their faith and remind them who Jesus is and why we'd want to believe. And, and, um, and so whether that would be like youth conferences or at schools or confirmation retreats and that sort of thing, the other, the other half would be like parish missions and conferences um, and just speaking on, uh, you know, a wide array of topics. Um, my first and primary focus was like, I want, if I want to leave people, if I have an opportunity to speak to them and I, I leave them with anything, I want them to know who Jesus is. Like, I want to lead them to an encounter with God. Amen. Um, and beyond that, it would, you know, there's lots of other facets that, that leads to a lot of different places of like, well, then what, like, how do we share our faith with others? How do we evangelize? What does that look like? How do we understand our faith better? Um, and when we understand, you know, things like the Eucharist or the role of Mary in our life or all of these different elements, not just understanding the apologetic behind them, but also the significance, like yeah. how does that draw us to holiness? Yeah. What's you the know, practical what application? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was kind of my secondary, uh, secondary topics that I would mostly speak on. That's awesome. And then you were also a musician, you're a recording artist. Um, so you would lead worship for live events and you would also, uh, you know, you had a few, you have a few albums that I saw on Spotify. Uh, yeah. So talk to us about that. When did you start doing that? So that that was actually my start into ministry was uh, I put out like my first real Christian album. Um, it was uh, I don't know. I don't even remember the year 2009, I think. And uh, I didn't know I didn't have any plan. I didn't know what it was going to do, where it was going to go. I, I had thought one day it'd be really cool to get into ministry, but I never thought it would actually happen. Mm. And, um, and God just used that album in, a, in an incredible way. Like uh, the first single that I released to Christian radio here in Canada, uh, it went number one wow. in Canada. <laughs> I was like, wow. Kind of a big deal. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so, yeah. And I didn't know what to do with that. Right. And I was like, well, what now? And so I just started to be attentive to it. My wife and I were married. We were starting to have kids at the time. And I started to get invitations uh, from uh, mostly non-Catholic churches, actually, because Christian radio is largely Protestant radio. Right. Um, but it was great because it, it exposed me to how different faiths express their mm -hmm. love and their worship of God. Um, and I, I learned a lot. I was challenged a lot of my own faith as a Catholic going into that world, uh, which probably has helped form and shape me into what I love of today and love to speak on in apologetics. But, you know, I, I, um, I just was being attentive that you know, at some point we, my wife and I had the discussion, like, obviously there's something here, like God is doing something with this music and with mm. this ministry. Um, and we had to discern 
kind of giving up my nine to five Monday to Friday day job, my, my real job and uh, pursuing a, a risky life of ministry. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying. And, and I can't even believe that I actually quit. I still to this day, like, did I actually do that? Crazy. <laughs> um, but, but he led us to, uh, to full-time ministry and we haven't looked back since. And it's just been this incredible journey of like, it started with music. And then it kind of evolved into sharing my testimony and giving short little talks. And then that turned into parish missions and conferences. And, um, and so music is still very much a part of what I do. I, I, I think it has the, the ability to stir people's hearts, to soften them, to receive the gospel mm. um, and to respond to it. And so I love music for that, that part of it. And I know there's a lot of people that, uh, especially Catholics, that uh, are unfamiliar with maybe a contemporary praise and worship music. And that's fine. I don't love organ music. Um, and that's okay. But I, you know what, I, like at mass, it's still beautiful. And you know what I mean? So yeah, it's a universal um, church. Yeah. And so I, I just praise God for like, I've been given a lot of opportunities that I was not prepared for and didn't deserve. And, um, I'm just thankful that he's, he's led me to, um, being able to minister to his people in such a way. That's so beautiful, man. You know, uh, Canada has, uh, harder restrictions, uh, related to COVID than the United States does, which might change soon. Um, Mm. But uh, one of them that really surprised me is that they did not want uh, to allow the Catholic Weird Stuff segment to uh, continue to be broadcast in Canada. And, uh, you know, (laughs) here, we say no to the man. We say no to the man. So we're going to do the Catholic Weird Stuff segment right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got Mr. Chris Bray here with us today. Mr. Chris, um, is it okay if I call you Mr. Chris? Yeah, it's very formal of you, but <laughs> you're welcome to. Uh, it is meant with the highest respect because I, I really do love um, your work. And anyways, so I, I, I want to get into the Catholic weird stuff of why do we as Catholics care or listen to what uh, care about or listen to what a bunch of old guys in Rome have to tell us about how to live our lives. Um, in other words, like, what, why do we give any credence or authority to what you know the cardinals, the bishops, the the church? Uh, so, do you want to share a little bit with us from your perspective what that's about? Yeah, I mean, as a Catholic, like, I, so I remember I was volunteering. I was helping out at a, a friend of mine was a youth minister, and he, he needed some some volunteers one night just to like help facilitate a small group discussion of confirmation uh, parents. And so they had, he brought in the kids, the confirmation kids, but then he also brought in their parents to evangelize them, which is equally as important. And I remember I had this group of adults who didn't want to be there because the session was mandatory. <laughs> and, and I remember like just having, I, I had this sheet of questions that I was supposed to ask and just, you know, rhetorical or like people maybe would spawn discussion or whatever. And nobody was talking. Like everyone hated my guts and didn't want to be there. And, but I remember like, I, I, I just opened the floor and just said like, does anyone want to ask anything about the Catholic faith? Like anything at all? Like, and I'll do my best. You know, we have a catechism here. We have the scriptures. And um, I remember one lady was like, why do we have to listen to the Pope? Mm. Like, what's the deal? Like, wh- why, why should he have any say on how I live my life, what we believe? Like maybe thousands of, a couple thousand years ago, um, there was a necessity for that. Maybe in the you know medieval times, um, maybe they needed a lord and a ruler over people's lives. But why now? Like mm-hmm. we're all literate; we can all read. 
And, um, and I think that's still a relevant question. I, I think like today, people um, in society, we have a very anti-authority um, mentality. Uh, we question everything mm -hmm. to our detriment. I mean, questioning things is a good thing, but we question things to the point where we believe that there is no answer, mm. that there is no truth and no way. And um, what I love about Catholicism is that for 2000 years, she said, no, there is a way. And there's a way for you to know it. Yeah. And the way that you know it is through one absolute truth and, and a magisterium that holds up that truth for us. And I think now more than ever, we need we need that voice to shine through, um, echoed through people like you and me and ordinary everyday people, but also given from, uh, you know, like the words of Peter echoed, you know, when Jesus uh, in Matthew uh, 16, right, when he says, who, who do people say that I am? Few men say that I am, and they come up with all these kind of strange answers, you know, Elijah, John the Baptist, the prophet, and and then Peter pipes up and he says, "You're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And for two thousand years, every successor of Peter have been proclaiming that reality that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, up until Pope Francis. And we have a magisterium, a, a church that's like living and alive today to tell us that. Yeah. And that's how we that's how we can know that because yeah. we have a lot of we have a lot of faith traditions that have taken the scriptures and twisted them and done some strange things with them. Yep. I mean, we have a, we have a church in our own, in my hometown, just making a mess of stuff. Just, just like, it's embarrassing to watch. It's awkward. It's, it's uncomfortable. And, um, is that a Catholic church? No. Okay. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Cause we that's what we have our, we have our own problem. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, you know, like we, we see across history, in the last 500 years, especially people that when we diverge from the one holy Catholic apostolic from from a, a faith that is historically apostolic in nature, when we diverge from that, that's when problems arise, you know, and that's when the heresies begin. And we need a magisterium, we need a church, we need an authority outside of ourselves. Yeah, because like, how dangerous is it that if each of us gets to decide what truth is? Dreadfully dangerous. Uh, I'd be and, terrible at that job. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would mess it up for sure. I mean, that was one of the hardest things in my time away from the faith was this insane pressure to figure out what is true. Like, it's on you. And it, it's literally... That's um, a burden, man. It, I think it's like a directive uh, in, I forget which document it is uh, for Protestants, um, but there, there's literally like some kind of directive that if you disagree with what your preacher or pastor uh, is you know, proclaiming, then you have a responsibility to splinter and start your own community. Like it's literally something that is promulgated as like the right way to handle it. Um Good Lord, like uh, that terrifies me. And when I was when I was like a non-denominational Protestant, like it was it was so hard. I mean, to to not be able to trust your own leadership to tell you the truth and to not have something to turn to to con like compare and contrast what they're saying to, you know, you you would assume, okay, yeah, do that with the Bible, but the Bible doesn't, you know, interpret itself. So you need some other guidance and it was it, full of it's just anxiety driven like it, it just can make you go nuts and it it makes people go nuts we see the statistic yeah. is something like every 10 years any one faith community splinters at least two ways if not three ways um and you know here we are 
centuries after the Reformation, and we've got quite a fractured Christian family. Um, and something I was, I was thinking about, too, as you were introducing this was like how with my kids, um, when I'm telling them what to do, when I'm when I'm telling them something they don't want to hear, uh, I'm not trying to be a tyrant. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm saying what I'm saying because I know better than they do and I know what's good for them. And that, you know, ultimately, I think that resistance to the church's teachings is resistance to God's lordship over our lives. Um, we assume when the church set, tells us something we don't want to hear, that it's coming from them and not from God. But that's really not how things work. Um, and I think that was the hardest paradigm shift was like, no, it, I mean, it, I think it is a hard paradigm shift for a lot of people. For me, when I learned about the church's teaching authority that was instituted by Christ and that like in 2000 years, not a single teaching on anything has ever changed. That is when I was like, wait a second, I need to give Catholicism another try. <laughs> Cause like, you know, yeah. if God is outside of time, he's not going to have shifting opinions on things. And so what is true cannot be shifting. And literally the only church that can have that claim of any number of years without changing teachings, let alone 2000 is the Catholic church. And it's so, it's honestly freeing. Like it takes so much pressure right. off of us as the Christians to be our own popes. Like, oh my gosh, I do not want to be my own pope. I don't want to be anybody's pope. That would be a disaster. <laughs> it's You're absolutely right though. Like, and there's this, there's a plethora of beliefs. I mean, you, we, people talk and, you know, the argument and the criticism is that, you know, how many denominations that truly exist today is an inflated number. Some say 20,000, 40,000, you know, however many, but I mean, isn't two too many, right? Like yeah. that's the Lord desired unity and one church. But I would be willing to say that it's actually way worse because inside any given Protestant denomination and even Catholics among Catholics mm -hmm. is that when like each person is deciding like a cafeteria line, like, or a buffet menu. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going to choose to believe this, this and that, but not these things. And that creates this division in the church. Um, when like, why do we, why do we, do we want that burden on us? And, and if there is, here's the dilemma, right? Is that if there, you know, the people that are coming up with all of these different teachings are using the same book to do it, then, then what does that demonstrate to us that there there can't be a definitive and sure way to know truth that's actually and what made me an case, atheist well well and i fully agree and like and if that's the case then how do we know that god is real that god exists that any of what this happened in the scriptures is true or what to believe it that's actually a cruel joke of yep. god to have done that to humanity there yeah. has to be absolute truth and there has to be a sure way to know it yeah yeah, the whole thing crumbles without the church, which is literally what we've seen in the fracturing of the of the community. Um, and, you know, I always say uh, to that, the church, I mean, I, I, when I'm quoting, for example, St. Paul, when he says that the church is the pillar and bulwark of truth, you know, if, if the Lord had intended, it's beautiful that in the 21st century, in the year 2021 of our Lord, that we are able, through the advances in technology, to all of us, if we choose, if we so choose to have a Bible in our homes, 
maybe even a Bible on our phones. But at no point in the gospel is Jesus like, I want every family to have their own Bible. I want everyone to memorize lines of scripture and that to be how you get to know me. Like, that is not the the, the faith life that Jesus outlined for us. Um, if that had been what he wanted, he would have left us some golden divine printing press. But that's not what he left us. He left us the church. And through the marvels of modern technology in the 11th century, we now have the printing press and we now have the ability to put books in every house. Um, and and the notion that. the notion that's that amazing. the old men in Rome didn't want us to read the Bible and that's why Bibles were chained to the churches. No, Bibles were very hard to come by. They were literally hand copied by loving monks in monasteries. I presume they were loving to go through that work um, to hand copy the entire Bible uh, over and over again for their entire lives. And I just think, you know, if I'm, if I'm a church, I, these are hard to come by and these are important. So we don't want people walking off with these. So we're going to chain them up. It's not to keep you from reading it. It's to keep it from disappearing. Um, yeah. So that everyone can have it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention that all of the beautiful artwork in most cathedrals and basilicas, like they tell the story of, the Bible, like that's how so many uh, peasants and uh, pilgrims, people that didn't know how to read because we didn't have an intellectual society, that's how they learned a lot of the Bible stories was being depicted in beautiful artwork all throughout the our, our cathedral here in Toledo, um, where we host our monthly night of worship. Like that has that. Like the entire salvation story is depicted as you walk up and down the aisles in the ceiling artwork. It's so beautiful. Um, the church is all about the story. Like we love the story and we want people to know the story. It's a saving story. Uh, but it can't stop there. Like we need, we need to be taught. We need to be told, you know, and, and I going, going back to the example of my kids, it's like, it, frankly, with how similar it is to the, my kids behavior when they don't like what I have to say, it's a little childish. Um, and I don't mean that to be insulting to anyone, but it's just kind of a, a wake up call that like, you know, we were not meant to have all the answers on our own. Or, or the capacity of, of a 2,000-year-old right. church, right? And, um, and you know, the idea of, of going by the Bible alone, soul scripture, uh, you know, coming out of the Reformation. Like, like, I actually wish as Catholics that maybe we would, we would actually lean into the scriptures a bit more and allow them to refine us, you know, and, and to, to reproof us and correct us and to train us and, um, equip us for righteousness. But um, I think even in Catholicism, we have a tendency, uh, as much as we criticize our Protestant brothers and sisters in Christ of, of you know, leaning on the scriptures for, in that way as the authority, we see a lot of Catholics that when they don't like a particular teaching, they'll try and interpret uh, church documents in their <laughs> own light, rather than the living tradition of the church. Like, well, how has the church historically understood this particular teaching you know and uh, how has this been uh, practiced for the last 2000 years and and that is where we get that the clear and definitive way that we can know truth through the the living teaching office the magisterium that's what that word magisterium means is teaching office and and without that you're right like we're doomed man like how 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 am i supposed to as like so I, you know, I know how to read. I, I'm living in a very blessed time in era of of civilization. We have access to like anything we want at the touch of, a, of our fingertips on our phones. 
But how am I supposed to understand thoroughly um, a, a collection of books, 73 books written by over 40 different authors on three different continents and three different ancient languages with idioms and expressions uh, not known and understood by us today. Like, how am I supposed to compile all of that mm -hmm. and figure out what that means to me today right. and live that out definitively mm -hmm. and infallibly? Like, I'm, there's no chance, even with all of the technology that we have today. And that's why, as you said, you know, Christ instituted a living church. Yep. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is, if you do just take scripture, if you're, if you're, I, I've actually, I've been thinking about writing a book on this. So if you're watching or listening to this, don't steal my idea. Um, if, if you're on a deserted Island and you're, all you have with you is a Bible and whatever you need to survive. Um, and you don't know anything about the church. You don't know anything about the faith. All you have is this Bible that magically appears on the Island and you read that Bible if you, once you somehow extrapolate from it, the parts, the books of the Bible that are narrative, the the parts of the Bible that are poetic, the parts of the Bible that are prophetic, and you understand at least those differences, you cannot read the Bible without any pre-existing bias, and not end up putting together the Catholic Church. It's just it's not a thing. You don't read the Gospels. You don't read John chapter six without bias. And assume he meant it was a symbol that his that you, we needed right. to eat his flesh based on the words that as they are written. Unless you have a bias, when you read those words, you assume he's serious. The people he was talking to assumed he was serious, which is why they walked away. It was such a repulsive yeah. notion notion to them. And I think even the Bible by itself, even though it's not meant to be used this way, but the Bible by itself, you can. Totally, you you have to put the Catholic the, the Catholic Church together from reading the Bible. Um, the, there's no other way to it's, take it. It's certainly possible. I mean, the Catholic Church would would state and believe that everything that we teach uh, and hold to be true and believe it's like the seed of that is all there. Yep. Just like the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the seed yep. of you know the reality of that teaching, the essence of that teaching, can be extrapolated from the scriptures. Um, but you see in a lot of Protestant communities, well-intentioned people that want to go back to uh, being like a Bible Christian. Mm -hmm. Like what, what, would it, what would Christianity look like if you were living in 60 AD? Um, and I, I think that's great and noble. And I think we could probably do a pretty good job, maybe even a better job than how a lot of Christians are living today. I don't know. Sure. Um, but the problem is if you were living in 60 AD, is that half of the New Testament wouldn't have even been written yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so where do you go yep. to find out who Jesus was and the church. what happened and the reality and justification and how we're saved and, and forgiveness? Like, where do you, where do you find it? Who do you ask? Um, and you don't, you don't just go to the written scriptures um, because the Old Testament is silent on a lot of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then you see, you know, Jesus after the resurrection, when he breathes on his disciples and he says, um, receive the Holy Spirit, whoever sins you forgive or forgiven, whoever sins you retain or retained. And unless you're going into that with some kind of bias, you walk away from that passage, understanding that those disciples darn tootin had the, the power to forgive or retain sins. You have to impose bias on it to extrapolate anything else. 
Um, well, and I mean that, and like even another passage that comes to mind, just as you you mentioned that one, is like James. I believe it's chapter uh, chapter two. When if anyone among you is sick, you know, and call for the the presbyter oh, yes. who will anoint them with oil, and their sins will be forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, call the priest, and they'll anoint with oil, and yeah. their sins are forgiven. Like what <laughs> yeah amen and like like that's it's so it's there and mm -hmm. it's so obvious and i think we've had um, a few hundred years of um really hostile language between faith communities that have prevented people from being able to see that clearly like you say yeah amen sadly so clearly I think we've made a pretty solid case for the church's authority and magisterium. Um, I, I think that uh, there, there's obviously so much that, I mean, we could do entire series of episodes just on that topic, but it is, yeah. it's fundamental. A Dei Verbum would be the document if people ever wanted to look it up. It, Dei Verbum, it literally means the word of God. Um, I love it. And, uh, and so if people wanted to go look that up, it's not too long. It's very short, actually. And it just really outlines for us as Catholics how we believe not only sacred scripture, but also sacred tradition, that the word of God was the word of God before it was written down. And uh, how we even know things like which books make up the Bible is mm. part of the living, living sacred tradition, uh, which is all upheld by the magisterium. And so it's like this stool with three legs that helps us to balance uh, things in truth properly. So people, it just, I mentioned it in case people want to check it out. Yeah, we'll put a link to Dei Verbum in the, uh, the show notes. So if you want to awesome. check that out, there's going to be a link in the show notes. Thanks for mentioning that, Chris. Uh, sorry, Mr. Chris. Um, so <laughs> so uh, let's transition now. I want to go back to talking about what you are actively working on right now. So um, I kind of uh, mentioned earlier that I was watching some of your YouTube videos, the ones that you made by yourself and, and then as well as with your wife. And you're, you're really getting into this apologetics territory that I think is so awesome because of the way that you're delivering them. I think that you have an awesome uh, spirit with which you approach it. Um, but how did you get into that in the first place? Um, well, you know, honestly, it was my, um, my exposure to Protestant communities through the Christian music world, um, that started to bring up these questions in my own life. I've been a Catholic my whole life. Um, but it was people asking me things like, why do you listen to the Pope? <laughs> or why do you believe in purgatory and how come it's not in the Bible? And how come you removed or added seven books from the Bible? And, and like all these different questions um, right. that I had no idea how to answer. I, it was awful. Um, and I think we take these things for granted as Catholics. Like, why do we make the sign of the cross? What does that signify? Why do we genuflect when we walk into the church? What, what's the significance of the candles and the vestments that the priest wears? Like all of these questions, I had no idea how to explain. Mm. And even more so too, as a father, like kids, they ask the, the best questions, right? And usually it's the simple questions that get uh, parents and adults stumped. And, um, and so that, you know, it was when we start asking these questions, like when I started to investigate these things, it just affirmed Catholicism in my life all the more. Like it, we don't just do these empty rituals because that's how we've done them for so long. There's actually a reason and a significance behind all of these things that um, they're not just the apologetic as the, how we can know that they are true, but, but also the significance as to why we do them and how that helps us in our faith spiritually. Yeah. Um, and so it was through friends and it was through people that I would meet in these Protestant churches that would ask me, they'd be like, 
wait a second, <laughs> you're a Catholic and you're singing this praise and worship music? <laughs> like, I thought you just worshiped Mary all the time. <laughs> no, oh, no, you don't do that. But, um, you know, it, it forced me to have to confront these questions and these misconceptions that people had. And man, that was so frustrating. It's, you know, like people still believing silly things about Catholics because that's how they were brought up and that's how they were told. And so I just really wanted to um, give good answers to people, but not in a way that uh, was confrontational or was hostile. Because I think when we look at a lot of these debates, like if you go on YouTube and you Google you know, Catholic Protestant debate, it's like there's a lot of just they attack the person or they it's all this rhetoric yeah. and they're not actually talking about the real issues. I, I just wanted to have a conversation with people and say like, Hey, look, like what you've been taught about it. I, you know what? I, I can see where you would think that is strange, but here's actually what we believe in. And this is why we believe it. And here's yeah. some of the scriptures to back it up. And here's um, some of the church fathers and what they had to say on it. And I, I find it kind of relevant. I think it makes sense and, and just see where they're at. And um, you know, what's, I mean, on social media, you usually have, I'm not sure if you find this, but like you usually have much more negative feedback to, mm. um, you know, you get a lot more anti-Catholic response mm. than you do from people that are like, yeah, I fully agree with this. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really cool to see when people uh, are open and have an open mind and they're really truly seeking after understanding the truth of it, you know, and, and you can see that light bulb moment happen, you know, when they're like, Oh, that does make sense. Yeah. And they'll ask a follow-up question, you know, and, and you can go through a whole thread of comments and then by the end, maybe you still won't agree. Two people might not fully agree, but they at least share um, a bit more understanding of each other's perspective. And I think that's important for us as Catholics too. Yeah. I, one of the, the hardest things that I'm trying to navigate right now, even with our content for Awakened Catholic is um, how to create, uh, how to create Catholic content that is uh, truly coming from the heart of the church, but that doesn't just pander to like the people who are, who are already hanging out in the Catholic jacuzzi and, you know, really content with themselves and, oh, doesn't it feel good to be right? Um, but really more yeah. like reaches people in a way that predisposes them or, or makes it more possible that they're actually going to be open to hearing what they're hearing and doesn't just create, you know, defensive blocks based on like seeking out confirmation bias or hearing something that like, uh, goes against what I believe. So I'm not even going to give this any credence. Like I I'm trying to navigate and, and a lot of our show hosts and I have been, you know, navigating this, this question for a while. And I feel like we're getting, we're getting close to, to, you know, the mark, but there is just this issue where like, there's so much tribalism in in the way that we see the world um, where even, you know, you mentioned, for example, the early church and how they lived. And if we're striving to live like them, you know, um, and I think about who they were, like so much of our tribalism today is political. And I think about who the early church was politically and they were just Catholic. They were just Christian. And and I think, man, if if we really wanted to get back to kind of like some of those really healthy, uh, while you know dangerous and illegal Christian roots um, at the time, uh, we really need to find our identity first and foremost in being children of God and in being a family of God, because um, all the infighting is is not helping our ability to have a conversation. Um, and sorry, were you going to say something? 
No, I, I fully agree with you. Um, and I, I don't mean to cut you off there. I, you're, you're I just, I just want to affirm what you're saying. Like, and, um, and uh, honestly, I don't know the answer other than people don't usually win uh, an argument by being hostile right. and using inflammatory language. And I mean, even like we've been still like, we're still waiting for the Eastern Orthodox and Catholicism to be reconciled after a thousand years. And, and, uh, a lot of the separation happened because no, I'm going to excommunicate you and no, you're going to excommunicate me. And then you know <laughs> what I mean, like that didn't do anything good. Um, and that doesn't work now. Right. And I think, um, so to answer your question is like, how do we do that is we have to bring, we got to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and just an example of this is, uh, like my wife and I just finished filming a new video and all that Catholic stuff episode, uh, titled what, Catholics can learn from Protestants. Interesting. And I think it's probably going to offend a lot of Catholics in a good way. Exciting. Um, because when we approach a dialogue with a little bit more humility, I think we can all learn something. And, and actually the examples, the things that we bring up in the video, none of them are theological things. Um, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms, but, um, but, but I think we, we have to just, like be better at um, just demonstrating virtue and mm. love and charity and patience. And like, it's a journey. Like you, chances are we're not going to convince somebody in, in a couple of threads on Facebook and they're going to just revolutionize their lives. We're probably more like one small step in thousands or millions of steps along their journey. And that's okay. But if we are hostile and rude and um, condescending, then are they, you know, that actually might tarnish their view of Catholicism, right? And yeah. so how are we going to, how are we, it's just, whether it's, how do we um, show the world Jesus and evangelize to them? It's the same answer as how do we um, bring people to the fullness of truth? And it's, we live holy, virtuous lives and yep. we try and be like Jesus. Yeah. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that was a real struggle. That's all I got, man. That was a real struggle for my wife when she was, because uh, she's a convert. She grew up a very Protestant Protestant. Um, and when she was even considering the idea of becoming Catholic, um, the only exposure she had had really to Catholicism before me uh, was she was in a country band and they would get hired to provide live music for a lot of parish festivals. And at these parish festivals, the beer was flowing. Um, I bet. And she witnessed like this incredibly disappointing uh, dynamic of many Catholics at these festivals and at multiple parishes that she would do these for, uh, definitely taking things too far with the drinking and the way that they would behave on the dance floor and stuff. And that was her exposure to Catholicism. And how many other people is that that exact or similar scenario? Uh, what, how many people is that the case for? Innumerable, right? Um, even even our own children, as we're as we're raising children, you have five daughters. I've got three kids, two daughters and a son. When when we're living our lives in the household, um, and this is a very convicting thought, but like the way that I'm living my life, and they are observing everything. Uh, that is evangelization to those yeah. souls, to my kids. And yeah. what they perceive from me is going to be what their perception is of Catholicism. And the, the I mean, the sad reality is, is like all of us are already witnessing to people. 
the question is, is what do we want to be witnessing to them? And when people look at somebody, like when I look at like just an angry Catholic who just seems to be void of all joy and peace yeah. and like lacking in the fruits that, you know, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Like I think to myself, like, why on earth would I ever want to be a, a Catholic like you? Or mm-hmm. like, why would I ever want to join your church or your religion so that I can be just like you? <laughs> like, you know, like it's a turnoff. And so, I mean, we, we are, we're already witnessing that to people. The question is, what what do we want to witness? Do we mm-hmm. want to show them um, grace and love and virtue and holiness, or do we want to show them something else? Amen, man. It's convicting as crap, but uh, it's uh, it's important. Yeah, it's that's the struggle, right? That's that's the Christian life. Is like we all of us, whether we are a, a parent or whether you have a like a your own podcast and video program or like you know what I mean. Like it's it's all of us. Is like it's that daily struggle, and it's. Uh, all the more for Christians interacting online in the public square of today. Are we, are we showing our faith in, are we being charitable in our comments? Are we kind of making snarky remarks and, and being condescending? Cause it's really easy to do that. And it's really easy to get sucked into the river of negativity and condemnation. And well, you're an idiot and all, you know what, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's um, and it's much more difficult to have the patience when somebody's um, being a little, uh, uncharitable with you. Yeah. So again, going back to something we said, we talked about earlier in the show, it has to start with you. It has to start with your own seeking first the kingdom of God. It has to start with you living in the spirit. It has to start with you living the sacramental life. And when I'm saying you right now, it's, you know, for the purposes of the fact that you are watching or listening, but I'm saying this just as much about me. I need to seek first the kingdom of God. I need to offer him my first fruits in the morning and to live my entire life for him. I know every every single day now I'm trying to be really intentional about, Lord, I offer you myself, but I, I offer you this day. Help me on this day live for you in a manner that pleases you. Help the work that I do to be anointed and blessed by you. And let me not do anything that leads anyone astray or displeases you. Um, if that's like the way that we are interacting with God in the morning, like, man, what a difference that can make. Oh, that just, it sets us in the right disposition yeah. and, and orientates our, our lives right, right towards God. You know, I, I saw this uh, picture quote from Matt Frad shared with Pines and Aqu- with Aquinas. Um, and he was interviewing a sister and I can't remember her name, but she said something along the lines of like, when the devil can't sway you from your calling, he'll try and change the reason why you're fulfilling that calling. And it's like, that just struck me like, Oh, oh my god, Yeah. Like, so if, if, you know, I'm still in ministry, the devil's going to attack like my motive. And, and I think that applies to all of us too. Like as a, as a spouse, as a father or mother, as, as anybody living in life, like when we're fulfilling our calling and our vocation, um, you know, if the devil can't sway us from that vocation and that calling, then he's going to go after our motive. And are we like, are we a resentful spouse? Are mm. we resentful of other people? Are we envious? Are we, you know what I mean? And it just was like, it just like, wow, it was this truth bomb. And, um, and I think that's kind of maybe what you're getting at is like, we just got to orientate ourselves in the right humility towards God. And everything else after we seek the kingdom uh, shall be handed unto you. Yeah, amen. I saw a, a friend of mine uh, is a worship leader. His name is Seth Schleter. Uh, he leads worship over at Damascus Mission Camp. 
um, here in Ohio, and he uh, I saw a video that was being filmed from someone's phone while he was leading worship, and he said, uh, literally, like, in the middle of worship, he just, like, felt this word, and he said, what if the love of God spread faster than COVID? And I was like, so I quoted that, and I, I wrote beneath it, it starts with us. Like, we have to be the reason the love of God is spread, and we can't just, like, get hung up on on the concern that, like, other people aren't spreading it well enough. We have to be a source of uh, the love of God. We need to be channels of his love and of his peace um, ourselves. And yeah, amen. So you mentioned a second ago that this uh, episode that you recorded with your wife is, is going to come out. How, when is that coming out? Uh, a couple weeks, I think. A couple yeah. weeks from now? Um, yeah, probably mid-January, I think, is when it's scheduled. Okay, and yeah. that's a part of your... Um, Catholics, all that Catholic stuff series. Yeah, and tell so, us about that. Yeah, so the, originally, like four or five years ago, when I started all that Catholic stuff, um, the reason that I started it was, you know, kind of how we had talked about the questions I would get from the Protestant communities when they would say, you know, like, oh, I believe in Jesus and the gospel, but I just don't believe all that Catholic stuff. Mm. And I thought, man, what a great name. Yeah, it is. And so, um, so I thought, well, that's what I'm going to tackle is all that Catholic stuff specifically. And, um, and it was really just the, the common apologetical arguments for the things that uh, the misconceptions and the things that we believe that maybe our Protestant brothers and sisters in Christ don't share in common with us and just understanding them a little bit better um, but over the last, you know, year, uh, since COVID hit, especially, I've just, uh, have been, uh, increasing the amount of videos that I've been doing, um, because I can't travel. And this is really the, the way in which I could uh, meet people where they were at. And so, um, I've, I've introduced a couple of different, um, veins of all that Catholic stuff. We started our own, like, um, family YouTube channel called living the way. That's awesome. And we started that as well. We were we were moving into uh, homeschooling our kids. Our kids went to a great Catholic yeah. school, and then we started homeschooling. and And we thought like, there's a lot of parents that are looking into this right now because of COVID, and um, we have no idea what we're doing. And we just thought like, surely if we're learning so much about uh, homeschooling and like how to, family life and faith and all that kind of stuff, like I'm sure the stuff that we're learning, hopefully other people it'll resonate with them too. And so. We did that for um, about six months, but we um, just decided to roll that into all that Catholic stuff. Um, we just decided like we, the questions that we were getting from people were more about like, how do we live uh, our faith in the context of family? Mm. You know, and like, how, how do we, um, like what kind of prayer practices do we need? Like, how, how do we talk about God as a family? How do I get my kids to pray? And so my wife and I are really just trying to tackle subjects like that and as, as well as marriage. And um, just the importance of faith in, in, in between spouses and, and practicing that and loving each other and all that kind of stuff. And so, so yeah, I do the apologetical kind of stuff. And then we also tackle some faith and family life stuff. Uh, with, my wife has been joining me on some episodes for that. And uh, it's awesome to have her along because uh, we have a lot of fun. It's almost a little embarrassing to watch. They're, they're, uh, <laughs> they usually start off like very like we just have a, just a goofy time together making these videos. But at the same time tend to dive into uh, yeah. a topic uh, pretty deep and as, as that's relevant to us. And so we're just, our hope and our prayers that it'll be relevant and ho helpful for other people as well. Well, you guys definitely have a great dynamic you, and you do deliver messages really well together and it's a lot of fun to watch. It, it was definitely fun. 
So Thank I think you. that's working out well that. for you. Um, you. So yeah, uh, I, I personally have really enjoyed each of the all that Catholic stuff uh, videos that I've seen. I, I think I've seen three of them, and they, they were awesome. Um, like I said earlier, I think you have a beautiful way of communicating the faith and um, apologizing. We should have defined apologetics earlier. Do you want to share with us like what apologetics are? Or what you know? Um, like, yeah. Because we try to presume that not everybody watching this show, you know, has like a master's degree in divinity. Yeah, no, that's important. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so it just means to give it a defense. And, you know, one of my favorite passages of scripture, um, it, I think it's Second uh, Peter 3, 15, 16, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. And so that's what we're doing is we're just, we're giving a defense for why we believe what we believe and the hope that's inside of us. And sometimes that takes the form of opening up the catechism or a quote from a church father, or just telling people a random person on the street, why you love Jesus. <laughs> that's, what, that's what apologetics are. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and if people want to support the work that you and your wife are doing, um, you have a Patreon. Do you want to share with people how to get there? Yeah, it's patreon.com slash Chris Bray. Patreon.com slash Chris Bray. And he's got a lot of yeah. cool rewards for the different giving levels, including like downloads of his music. And um, I definitely want to encourage uh, if you're able and you're watching this and you like the way that he sounds when he talks as much as I do, um, <laughs> make sure to consider uh, making that a part of your giving. Uh, I think that the work that Chris is doing is really important. And um, check, make sure to check that out. Patreon.com slash you said it was just Chris Bray at the end. Yep, that's right. And thank Brilliant. you for mentioning that. I really appreciate it. And the videos that we're putting out, and I'm working on some ebooks now uh, geared towards evangelization. Um, it's all meant to help people be inspired and equipped in their faith. And it's all made possible by people that are willing to support our ministry and be generous and my Patreon supporters. And so very much appreciate that. Thank oh, you. absolutely, man. We got, we're in this together. <laughs> um, Amen. And then if people want to find your videos, they go to YouTube. And what's the, the account? Yeah, it's Chris Bray Music on YouTube. Brilliant. Yep. And uh, on Facebook, I'm Chris Bray Official. Oh. That one was taken. For some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. If you uh, if you join the Awakened Catholic app, I'll make sure you get you know your little check mark verified uh, on there. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Chris, thank you for joining me and uh, sharing the the delicious glory uh, that is your wisdom and your story. And I'm just really excited for what God is doing um, through you and your wife and, and the, everything that you got going on with your Patreon community and the, the digital products you're developing, like the, the eBooks and stuff. Um, keep on doing what you're doing, man. You're, you're killing it. Thanks, bud. Thank you. And likewise, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and it's just been a pleasure chatting with you. Amen, brother. All right. Uh, until next time, everyone, stay safe and... We'll see you later, I guess. Wow, awkward ending. Here we go. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.